the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. get it going right here right now this is new generation declassified and you're listening to an all-new new generation declassified exclusively here on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire if you didn't know by now my name is chad and every single week we travel back in time and look at the old days of the wwf the uh, the dark ages of the wwf if you will the uh, new generation era 1993 through early 1997, uh, the generation that was the Federation in transition. And this week, we're going to take a look back. It's WrestleMania season, so we have to do some sort of WrestleMania content. And uh, I'm joined here by a very, uh, very interesting guest. I'm not sure if we've ever chatted before. I think we might have met <laughs> in person years ago, but I could be wrong. Uh, but we're connected through my brother, my uh, my buddy here, Norm, from the uh, from the Pro Wrestling Sheet Collider world. Uh, used to be uh, at a smaller little area. What was it, Rare, that you used to work at when, yeah. I, first, when I first got introduced to you? But Norm, man, what's going on? How are you? I'm good, man. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm just uh, I'm so tickled pink that you joined me on the old new generation declassified. But yeah, I think we met. Did we meet? I, I don't want to yeah, be I incorrect. So. So, yeah, I worked with your brother. We worked at... A, a political website on the hill uh and now and then i transitioned and moved to the west coast so i moved from uh the hollywood of the east to to actual hollywood <laughs> so now i'm covering entertainment but mostly pro wrestling for collider.com pro wrestling sheet.com i'm the senior content editor at pro wrestling sheet.com because i'm the only content editor at yeah. pro wrestling sheet.com <laughs> see you could say it a lot fancier than i could it's norm quarantine all right right yeah. Norm Quarantine. Yeah, you got it right, man. You pretty, you got it right. You nailed it. That's because I'm a professional. That's why I <laughs> nailed it. But no, man, it's it's cool to see what you've been doing. Uh, yeah, when I met you over uh, when you worked at Rare, you know, Rare was trying to branch off into some uh, more topical stuff, you know, some pop culture things. But wrestling was really strong in that office. And that's what I really, really dug about, you know, the environment my brother worked on because, you know, he obviously is a descendant of me and he would watch all the stuff that I watched. But, you know, eight year, uh, eight year difference between us. He wasn't that much of a fan, but he 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 knew what he was talking about. He could hold his own. But oh, he would absolutely. tell he would tell me about you. He would tell me about Jack Hunter. He would tell me about all the wrestling talk going on at Rare. Mm-hmm. And I, when I met everybody, I was like, "Damn, this is a great place to be around." Yeah, it was a pretty good work environment if you're a wrestling fan. And then we and we also had you know visit uh, occasional visits from Mayor Jacobs himself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was actually the first time I met Glenn was uh, was at the rare offices. I was called upon to uh, make an appearance in the rare office and uh, it was to meet uh, to meet Mr. Hall of Fame there himself, Mr. Jacobs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've gotten to know Glenn very well over the last couple of years since then. And uh, it's just amazing that it all happened in that little office right across the street from like the Discovery Museum. <laughs> yeah. And Glenn's a lovely guy as well. When he, whenever he came, I was starstruck whenever he came in. And he was always very nice and, and very sort of understanding of me just being a complete wrestling nerd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can cool it up. You know, I can uh, I could be too cool for the room when I'm around him. But don't think that when he got in the Hall of Fame, I didn't send him a uh, I was so happy to watch you as a fan text. So uh, I had to give my nod. <laughs> I had um, so my desk in the rare offices, I had a bunch of wrestling toys on there, but I didn't have any cane memorabilia. And when he came in, he looks at my desk and he goes, where's me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's fantastic. So yeah, man. So you're doing uh, your pro wrestling sheet. Uh, back in the day, as we say, we used to uh, talk to uh, Ryan Satin, who was the uh, founder of Pro Wrestling Sheet. But mm-hmm. it's amazing to see how far it's come and to see what you guys have done with it, especially the work you've done on it. I mean, it's uh, it's it's really it's a true testament to the evolution of not only journalism but wrestling journalism. So how has that transition been for you? Uh, it's been pretty good, you know. So obviously, I owe a great deal to Ryan. He he started the site. He founded the site. He the site is absolutely like you know, literally nothing without him since it's his baby. Um, but he, I mean, you can't not be impressed by what he 
what he did with that. He just uh, he came from TMZ, and one day he said, "I want to do, I just want to start my own wrestling sort of news uh, vertical." And he went and did that, and then he sold out to he, I don't want to say he sold out to Collider. He sold <laughs> it to Collider, um, and then they with with their backing, he took it even further. Um, and then eventually, you know, he got uh, Fox. The world of Fox Sports came a calling, and he had to sort of cash out at Pro Wrestling Sheet, and then um, left me in charge. And so, <laughs> and so I, I owe him my career, to be honest with you. And uh, yeah, so if you're listening, thanks, Ryan. So we cashed in the money in the bank briefcase and uh, headed on over to Fox Sports. <laughs> and headed on over to Fox Sports. Yeah, and no, I mean, he's living his dream right now. This is his dream job, basically, and I'm very happy for him. Oh, it's very cool. But again, you know, like like I said, the evolution of uh, wrestling media just continues every year to just fascinate me because somebody who would listen to these uh, late night radio shows in New York and just hear wrestling be brought up as a like a literally thing in passing because there was no yeah. wrestling talk on any sports stations if it mm -hmm. wasn't. You know, like a specialty talk show, you would listen to WFAN in New York on the overnights. And this is how my uncle would present me with my uh, pro wrestling news. That's the only way you might hear a rumor or two because that's, mm -hmm. they'd have on, you know, a, a Wade Keller at two in the morning or they'd have on a guy who read the, the Observer. That's how you used to be able to get wrestling news. Now, geez, I mean, throw a nickel and we can find pro wrestling news somewhere online. Yeah, I'm sure you remember the forum days and just just being in the sort of you know the gutter of the of the forums back in the day and <laughs> all the and tape trading and all that kind of stuff so yeah it's nice to just sort of it's very very easy to find uh what you're looking for if you're a wrestling fan and you're looking for news i will obviously you know there's still not not all of it is uh is, is perfect but uh but you know most of it is pretty decent and so yeah it's, it's a good time to be a wrestling fan Oh, of course. Yeah. And those forum days. And that's something that I got to add to my topics list for new generation declassified because, you know, I first discovered WWF on America online in 1996, which I do lump into this new generation era. Mm -hmm. And those forums and those, you know, message boards and chat rooms and all that stuff were interesting places to be in 1996 with a lot of fake news and a lot of like weird stuff floating around and uh, people pretending to be you know wrestlers in these chat rooms and man i could do a whole show about that i gotta put that on the topic list yeah that's a good one yeah for me it was uh yeah wrestling forums and simpsons forums and that was that was my uh mid to late 90s <laughs> <laughs> you would find a guy you know they give you the codes to type in you know like the sound effects so if that person had the sound effect in their files it would play and it would freak them out i mean like yeah. this was the stuff that entertained <laughs> us back in 1996 <laughs> yeah exactly so we're going to talk a little bit about the new generation years and what we're going to talk about is uh, Big Daddy Cool Diesel. When I say oh, yeah. the guest, when I say who's the man you want, what do you want to talk about when it comes to the new generation? You said one word, Diesel. So we yeah. said, okay, WrestleMania Diesel. But we're going to get to that. That's still to come. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about you being a fan growing up. Where were you during these new generation years? Let's see. Okay, so we're talking like mid-90s. mid, mid -90s. So... I was, uh, I would have been like, I was really young. I was like 10, but I was very much into wrestling at this point. So I got into wrestling when I was really, really young, like basically a toddler because one of my neighbors was, was, was into wrestling and I, they used to like to sort of babysit me occasionally. And I, I would go over there and watch Ultimate Warrior, British Bulldog, Hulk Hogan, you know, the usual suspects. Um, I think for my like sixth birthday, I had a wrestling ring birthday cake that had um, that had uh, Bulldog and Bret Hart on it. But it was just it was basically the cake was the ring, and then the Bulldog and Bret Hart were just action figures. <laughs> uh, if that happened now, I'd be mad that they took them out of the packaging. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So then that, there was that, and then I did drop off a little bit for off of WWF because. I remember we moved and then we changed like cable packages and all that stuff because at the time WWF was on cable in the UK. It was on Sky. There was a time when the pay-per-views were actually on Sky Movies, which is weird, is weird to think about now, that they yeah. were on like, a movie channel. Um, so I did drop off a little bit. Um, I was still sort of, whenever, whenever I could, I would catch stuff or I'd get like a VHS here and there or borrow a VHS from a friend. Um, but yeah, this new generation thing it is kind of weird to think about, I guess, because when I, I look back on it, 
and I don't think it's necessarily bad. And obviously, we know that there it's kind of the dark days of WWF, and it's like this weird transitional period, and they weren't drawing as well. But when I look back on it, if I'm just flicking through the network and I see stuff from that era, I don't necessarily think that it's that bad in terms of quality. And, you know, we're going to talk about Diesel here, not to jump ahead or anything, but you always see him mentioned as like the lowest drawing champion. I guess we can talk about this soon, but I don't know how much of that is down to necessarily just down to him. Uh, but I think it's kind of quite um, reductive when people just sort of talk about him in those terms, if that makes sense. Yep. Because I think there's so much more going on then. But yeah, so it's weird that that is, those were the dark times and that just did happen. That is just coincidentally when I was, wasn't able to watch as well. Um, and then obviously, and then I was able to tune back in like week to week, like locked in from basically like 98 onwards from like Stone Austin versus McMahon onwards. Right. Um, I, there's, there's certain things I can remember seeing. Like I do remember switching on raw, um, yeah, we like we changed our cable package again, and we, we had access to WWF. And I remember switch, putting on like Raw one night and seeing. So it was like Attitude Era Raw sometime in '98, and just remember what I was seeing, and be like, "Oh my god, this is Rus- this is WWF now." I was like, "This is what it is now." I was like, "Holy shit!" Um, so then and that's when, and then from then on, it was like I never really ducked out again from pro wrestling. There were times when I didn't watch WWF, WWE as much, but. Um, yeah, from that moment on, I was pretty much locked in for good. And then whatever I missed, I caught up on. So during that era, so during those new generation years, you know, what was it like in terms of uh, exposure? You know, because you grew up in the UK, correct? Uh, we, mm-hmm. just, I don't want to, I didn't want to say off the top you were from. The oh UK. yeah, <laughs> just in case you moved here when you were two, and you know, you. you uh, grew yeah, yeah. I grew up in England. Yeah, yeah. You grew up in England, so you know we've talked about this is one of my like favorite things to to kind of go through. If I had my map out here, we we've talked heavily about the Northeast in the United States. We've talked about Chicago. We've even gone into like the you know the Southern region, Georgia, into Florida. But we haven't gone international yet in terms of guests. So what was it like like exposure-wise? Because here, it was dark. It was not a lot of wrestling stuff out there, merchandise. Yeah. It wasn't as You knew when it was on TV. You knew it was on USA uh, Network, and you knew it was on in your syndicated market. But like, what was it like in terms of how uh, you know easy it was to consume your wrestling content back then? Uh, so for so for the new for the new generation years, I would so it's they've always I think WWF has always been quite. I don't want to say lucky, but they've certainly always never never had too much of an issue with networks over there or anything like that. So like even though though like you like you were saying, like in that new generation time it was hard to sort of it was a bit more difficult as a fan to try to like consume it or whatever. They even though business was down or whatever, or they weren't drawing as well, they never had an issue with I don't think they had an issue with um TV networks in the UK being looking at the ratings and being like, oh, this isn't good enough. Because I think for for networks in the UK, it's always, they, they kind of just see pro wrestling as a thing, as like a niche thing that's always going to just sort of keep keep the needle sort of chugging along a little bit, you know? Yeah. Um, and also like when, so in those new generation days, I, I would say it was definitely not as sort of ubiquitous as it was a few years earlier and as it would become a few years later. So obviously Hulkamania and all that, that was all huge. We had we had SummerSlam in ninety two. Yeah. Ninety two, yeah, we had SummerSlam then. That was that was peak WWF in the UK. Then we did have a little bit of a downtime. From what I can remember and from what I've sort of researched, it certainly wasn't as accessible or as easy. It was always on TV though. It was all you couldn't just you you, you wouldn't be able to see the magazines in the shop everywhere and you wouldn't be able, be able to go to a store and buy a Bret Hart t shirt, but it was still always on Sky. Raw, we had we got Raw on the uh, it was Raw's on Mondays here. We got it on the following Friday. Okay, um, which I think in those days, mate, like back then, it wasn't as bad in terms for spoilers because I don't, not not everyone was online in the sort of mid like ninety four, ninety five, ninety six. No, was it? You would get if you. I mean, if you had access to the Observer, you might see you know that there was a spoiler rundown uh, of some sort of results but outside of a newsletter you would 94 95 now you'd still be pretty much in the dark yeah and i definitely so i would say it was pretty similar to here except they were they they just 
they they have a good they have a good relationship with the with with Sky at the time, and so I don't think they got moved around too much in terms of what time they were. I, I think it's I think WWF in terms of consistency with how when they were being shown on TV in the UK was always pretty consistent from 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 Raw's debut until very recently when they switched to BT, BT Sport, which was right. a real big deal. Um, and then talking about observer subscribers i would love to know what they're what how many people were subscribed to the observer in the uk in the mid 90s i would love to see a figure for that because i'm sure it was a very i'm sure there were quite a few people but obviously very niche yeah and i can't imagine what was the you know distribution for it was it somebody that he would have had in the uk printing it you know so it would save yeah. on, on costs you know mm-hmm. how 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 current and relevant would the uh, information have been you know, mm-hmm. by the time it was mailed there, especially let's even go before New Generation, you know, I don't know what the uh, the postage times were then. I mean, they stink now if I wanted to send something to the UK. Oh, yeah, they're awful now. Yeah, man. And ex- expensive as hell. Yeah, I'm yeah. Sure he must have had someone printing stuff off over there. Maybe we'll ask him. He's he's pretty good at responding to questions on Twitter. Maybe I'll send him a tweet. No, that's a good. That's definitely a good one. But, uh, you know, the way I always kind of look at it from, you know, my knowledge of being a fan growing up and then working in the industry is that when the WWF or the WWE is doing well, they are all over the UK. Yes. They, they are all, absolutely they're touring like crazy. Yes. They're hitting all the spots, all the big mm-hmm. venues. Um, and you can see that 92 SummerSlam, which we would end up seeing about for about a year plus in B-roll footage and, you know, things uh, chronicling Bret Hart and, and more of the, the marquee matches. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really see the UK ever mentioned again until they start doing those UK specific events around mm-hmm. 98, 99. So there's yeah. a, a five, six year period where there's nothing going on in terms of the UK outside of the regular uh-huh. European tours they would do. Yes, they were definitely still doing house shows there. I think. Yeah, I don't. I think they. I think they maybe did a couple. I remember like when I feel one on. A, I want to say Mayhem in Manchester, but I feel like that was ninety seven. That or was ninety eight. Mayhem in Manchester was ninety eight, and they okay. did a UK rampage, and I think ninety three, okay. which was just a compilation of matches that were filmed throughout their tour that they did, uh-huh. uh, where a few of the shows were televised, and I think you know it has like Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon, or Bobby Heenan and Vince McMahon yeah. doing commentary. But from that all the way to that Mayhem in Manchester, which we would get commercially as a release, which sucked. I mean, it was a 60 minute hodgepodge. Yeah. Uh, It was terrible, but yeah, that five year period, there was nothing. Yeah. And I remember capital carnage 98 too. Yeah. We got the, yeah, it was like, they were like non canon. They were basically like non, non canonical episodes of raw. Those, like those UK specific pay-per-views you'd occasionally get a title change or something, but that would be switched back like the the, the next day, you know? Right. Um, Yeah. So definitely, they definitely weren't doing as selling as many tickets or doing as many shows in that new generation area in the or in the UK. That's for sure. Um, yeah, we're timed. It is, and it's funny, you know, that we talk about it, and, and we're you know discussing this uh, the week before WrestleMania, and you know they filmed the 2020 Hall of Fame like a week ago, mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's broadcast. I don't know if it already aired or it's airing this week. I, I'm kind of out of the loop. Tonight, I think it's tonight. Oh, it's tonight as we're recording this. It's tonight. Record it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, finally being enshrined into the to the Hall of Fame. And the Bulldog, you know, had a really big new generation. You know, he comes back in 94 yeah. after, you know, leaving uh, maybe unceremoniously at the end of 92. Um, mm-hmm. Comes back in 94, and he's there for the rest of the duration. And he's a pretty big marquee guy. But that's, again, why I don't get why they weren't so, you know, televised over there at the time for the you know for us uh viewers in the states to see things going on in england because the bulldog was a made guy from 94 to 97 yeah for sure and if you put him on a card and if you if you're trying to sell tickets if they were trying to sell tickets in the uk all they had to do is put him on the card you know especially in that time yeah um yeah it's weird it is kind of is weird i guess yeah maybe there was some sort of just find out there wasn't enough financial incentive. Had to be. Yeah. Had to to be the costs of, of making the trip and bringing the talent over. And especially when they were getting their asses handed to them by WCW, Mm -hmm. maybe financially it wasn't right move, but actually, you know, it popped into my brain as we're talking one night only. How could we forget that? 1997. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then also not to go on too much on a tangent here, but so I don't, 
we didn't i don't think we really called it indie wrestling back then but definitely there was a lot of it there was still independent wrestling happening in the uk at that time uh to the point where like my local venue which was called fairfield halls they always every once once a month they would have like a wrestling show and a lot of it was like um i used to joke in the office with doug and jack hunter about this but this is absolutely true there was a guy in who would tour the uk called the uk undertaker <laughs> who literally <laughs> was just a cosplay undertaker <laughs> but he was a wrestler um so there was all that so they, they i mean it was popular enough for people to kind of plagiarize them <laughs> so those 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 cosplayers were selling tickets <laughs> So there, was there a UK doink? Because there was like seventeen doinks across the United oh, States. There was a hundred percent. I I can't I can't I don't remember ever seeing him for sure, but there was definitely a clown. There was definitely a doink knockoff. For there's sure, some, there's some bad doinks out there. That that's another. You know what? I gotta write this. Damn, I gotta write this down. That's this another topic, dude. Yeah. <laughs> of uh, rip off doinks throughout the yeah. independent scene following mm-hmm. the new generation. Uh, although everybody kind of recognizes and shits on the doink character. Uh, probably the most uh i guess tributed <laughs> of anybody of all time mm-hmm. and then those 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 uh uk indie shows as well they'd have like um they'd have some they don't like robbie brookside and people like that on them um people so people who would go on to be a bit you know a bit more successful yeah, would they bring in you know like a like a random legend from this from across you know the other side yeah, of the country yeah. the entire world would who would we see in the uk you see like you see a jake jake the snakes people like that i definitely saw jake there um who else yeah a few other people like that they definitely bring in like oh you know oh the bushwhackers there was always always the bushwhackers <laughs> yeah people like that um yeah you got to get a honky talk man I'm almost positive he was at Fairfield Halls at some point, yeah. And then they always, because um, obviously we'd have our like favorite local guys, but you know, uh, favorite English sort of independent wrestlers, and then they'd always have to do the job to honky tonk or whatever, you know. Right, right, yeah. They're either tagging with the uh, the face or they're getting beat by the heel, so, yeah. something like that. Uh, which it's all good. But all right, let's talk about uh, the topic at hand here. Let's talk about Big Daddy Cool Diesel, mm. uh, WWF champion from November 1994 to November 1995. Mm-hmm. Like you said, uh, business not really at its peak, but that might not be really attributed to him. Might yeah. attribute it to the uh, maybe the rest of the company structure. Uh-huh. Uh, what do you remember about Big Daddy Cool as uh, the champ? <clears throat> so I remember well. So I wasn't watching as regularly back then, but when I did, whenever I did see, I do, I do have a memory of seeing him not debut, but around his debut as when he was HBK's bodyguard, and I remember thinking he was the coolest fucking guy ever. Like, <laughs> which is kind of crazy to think about when you look back on it, but. At, in the mid '90s, to like ten-year-old me, he was cool as hell. Um, even though they were bad guys, you know. Um, when he was champ, I mean, he won the title before Sean won it, right? Uh, he- yes, yeah. He was yeah. a world champion from '94 to '95, and then uh, the boyhood dream comes true at uh, WrestleMania. Isn't that crazy to think about in hindsight that that Kevin Nash became yeah. WWF champion before Shawn Michaels? It is. Yeah, and I yeah. So I think the mis- one of the mistakes they made was trying to make. I get. I don't know. They wanted him. I guess this. So we're we're sort of post steroid trial, and Vince doesn't have a lot of like natural big dudes, and so it's really easy to see what he saw in Diesel in Nash. Right. Um, but like, I think the mistake they made was having him win. Having him win, and then he because he, he turns face shortly before he wins the title right yeah actually it's kind of a, a non-implied face turn so yeah. he basically breaks up with Shawn michaels at the 94 survivor series and mm-hmm. then days later is now the number one contender and facing bob Backlund at madison square garden which we have talked about that on this show mm-hmm. um but he beats you know Bob Backlund in you know ten seconds, mm-hmm. and uh, the next night uh, or the next Raw, he's the smiling, happy baby yeah. face, you know, leather clad, uh, goateed, uh, f- uh, glove on the hand, Diesel. So yeah, he, he and just won it a few days before too, right? I think. For right. So yeah, and I, I don't I don't want to say if that was I don't want to say that was a mistake, but I know I don't I didn't I don't like him as much when he's being like a smiley baby face because. If you know anything about Kevin Nash, you know that he's 
you know, the world's most charismatic asshole. <laughs> he's got an aura about him that he knows yeah, when he walks around, he's Kevin Nash. Yeah, exactly. He's got swagger, but he's not like, a, he's not a good, he's just not naturally a good guy. He's like kind of a dick and that, but in a good way. So when they're trying to make him, and I, I don't think he was ever comfortable doing any of those promos. I, I mean, we're going to, I'm sure we'll talk about WrestleMania uh, 11, that promo that he cuts right before the match. That is just awful. <laughs> if yeah, you remember no, that. That's very, it's, it didn't fit. It, it no, didn't that, fit. And, and I, I've talked to Nash in the past about it. And the promo that he did when he kind of turns tweener after he loses the belt in 95 mm -hmm. is the defining diesel promo because yes. it basically tells you this last year I was forced to smile. I was forced to slap hands. I was forced to be a good guy. Mm -hmm. And when you look back and watch the promo from 94, you're like, um, I can kind of tell. <laughs> and again, yeah, that speaks to his strengths as a professional wrestler, I think, is that he was able to kind of turn that that – I don't want to say a failure, but that not so good period. And then just make that his, his catalyst for turning heel and then say, you know, he used it as part of the character's motivation saying that he was forced to do it and all that stuff, which is just really smart. And yeah, you can see him cutting babyface promos. He's just not as comfortable. Yeah. And it's funny. So we, we talk about his WrestleMania appearances, you know, he comes in after WrestleMania nine and 93 comes in about, the end of May, early June 1993 helps uh, Shawn Michaels beat Marty Jannetty for mm -hmm. the Intercontinental Championship. So as we fast forward to WrestleMania 10, he's not in action. He's just on the side as the uh, the heavy to Shawn Michaels in the infamous ladder match at WrestleMania 10 at Madison Square Garden. Um, and he's just kind of there, and I believe he even gets ejected from ringside. So for him to be such a marquee player of the era – his first WrestleMania appearance, yeah, he had some fancy new digs, but he's gone. <laughs> and yeah. Hours before anything even happens. Yeah, so he, yeah, his 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 debut WrestleMania appearance, he's he's a valet who gets ejected from ringside. But I mean, that's gonna, I mean, that's I mean, part of the part of why I find him so fascinating is that the following year he's made well. Not he's not he's not in the main event, but that should have been the main event. Right, right, yes, highly um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but and yeah, so he's he's defending the WWF Championship the following year, which is pretty wild. I don't think he gets a lot as much credit because when you talk about like marquee, uh, like debut periods, people talk about Brock and Kurt Angle and stuff, but I think you got to throw Nash in there too a little bit. Yeah, well, you know who kind of reminds you of it's like a guy like the Miz, right? So when the Miz was the world champ, what was he doing the year before? You know, he's virtually almost in the same boat, maybe a little bit more advanced in terms of matches, but like, yeah. you know, it's, it's that rags to riches thing. But uh, just before we do that, let's just stop at the ladder match. You know, to me, I don't like to use the, the phrase overrated or underrated. I hate that. I, I like to say yeah. things are perfectly rated and it's a great match. Uh, sometimes I think it's a little overhyped, but what's your uh, what's your feeling on that ladder match? I do love it. I, I see. I know exactly what you're saying, um, especially like with the benefit of hindsight. You know, we've seen much better ladder matches since then. I think, and also, I mean, I think WWF likes to kind of act like it, like that was the first ever ladder match and stuff yeah. like that. You know, um, I do. I do enjoy watching it. I think it's nuts because I've I've heard them talk about how that was the only ladder in the building. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is just insane to think about now. Like all the lad, like whenever there's a ladder match, there's 50 ladders floating around. Um, yeah, and just to think that that was the only ladder there, and if anything had happened to that, they'd be, you know, up, up a creep without a paddle. Um, but yeah, I do, I do really like it. Uh, I've, I haven't watched it that many times. Um, did watch it last time I watched it was probably a few few months ago. Um, on some network thing, I think. Um, it's a lot. I mean, it's one of their go-tos. I mean, for me, I kind of slotted it maybe like the third spot on the the night because obviously the the Brett Owen match and then even the Bret Hart Yokozuna match, albeit Yokozuna is gassed. Yeah. I just like storytelling, uh, like the ending with Brett, you know. And then I was right, yeah. So it's not even the best match on that. Yeah, on that, maybe part. yeah. that third spot, and even though it's not a very uh, classically uh, love match. The Macho Man Crush match. I, I like that one too, just because if you really want to take a step back, I don't think anybody realized that that was going to be the Macho Man's last WrestleMania. Yeah, and then there's also that, there's a story. I think um, 
I can't. I think Razor might have told this, but when Sean and Razor go back backstage after their match, because I think is Macho Man Macho Man on after on after the ladder match. I, that I don't remember. I, so I, I think don't... Like, Razor and Sean go backstage, and Macho Man's like, first of all, good match. Second of all, you're very selfish. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. See, I don't remember the lineup. Uh... Yeah, I think he was after. I think. That makes sense. sense. I could hear Razor Ramon uh, saying a typical Scott Hall uh, sarcasm. uh, Yeah, and apparently he shrugged and was like, okay, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. But, yeah, so for me, I like the match, but it's, you know, it's been seen a million times. It's uh, It kind of loses. It's much better. And that that opens the show. That's that's, that's one of my favorite matches of all time, the Brett Owen match on that card. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Could be the best opener of any uh, wrestling card in history. It's just perfect um all right yeah and then you like you said uh, spoiler alert wrestlemania 11 he's now the wwf champion we would go through like i said the whole year from 94 to uh november 94 to november 95 but along the way the two dudes with attitudes would have their uh finally the confronting each other there and then the what should have been main event of uh, wrestlemania 11 but bam bam and uh, lawrence taylor would get it uh again it's a good match I don't think that they both like it. In retrospect, there was things that could have been done differently. I think there was a miscommunication at one point, and Shawn Michaels had one of the old school Shawn Michaels, you know, tantrums. Yeah. Um, but he gets his first world title match at WrestleMania, and it's a semi-main. <laughs> yeah, it's a semi-main. It's I mean, you got to take what you can get, I suppose. And then I think I kind of I do like the match. I don't I know exactly what you're saying. It's not. It's definitely not one that they'd have better matches. They'd have better matches. It's not one that you go back and and watch. I mean, maybe if it had been the main event, maybe they would have uh, you know pulled their socks up a little bit and made it a bit better. Who knows? Um, there is a botched. Doesn't it end on a botched jackknife? So, yeah, the the jackknife is terrible. There's some miscommunication, I think, on the outside too. It just was not crisp which could lead you to believe they were so pissed and that they were trying so hard to make the match that much better that it probably you know they were almost yeah. one step ahead of one another and uh i mean still it was a better match than the lt uh bam bam match which isn't terrible for lt versus bam bam i would have just you know i would have done the old flipperoni and uh yeah. <laughs> and, and another, thing, another thing is you've got um all that involvement with Pamela Anderson, right, yeah. and uh, Jenny McCarthy, and then the kid from Home Improvement, <laughs> yeah, guy from NYPD Blue. So you've got all this <laughs> other distracting stuff going on there. It doesn't. It's kind of unnecessary. Um, but I guess it's WrestleMania. You got to have celebs there. But what we got to say is, is I always talk about this era being a dark period. But that WrestleMania, WrestleMania 11, being in you know a not so great uh oh gosh richfield coliseum in richfield connecticut it's in like a nothing building yeah yeah they pull out probably like the most celebrities they ever had at a (laughs) wrestlemania on this wrestlemania but think about pam anderson in 95 you pretty much can't get any bigger than yeah uh, i mean pam and baywatch in 95 yeah she's like the biggest star in the world at the time it's kind of insane yeah it's kind of wild I don't. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying about it being Connecticut. If you if you go on like the wiki, on Wikipedia and look at list of WrestleManias, and you it's one it's one of those ones where you where you're like Connecticut. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, doesn't LA, pop Boston, New York, Dallas, Connecticut. <laughs> you know, and, and maybe you can kind of appreciate this as being somebody from you know overseas and growing up in in the UK. For us. You know, and I'm a Northeast guy. The WWF is in Northeast territory. So for mm-hmm. us, it's like this is home turf. So they would go to Chicago and you'd be like, eh, they're in Chicago. Great. They're when they're back in New York or they're back in New Jersey, like that's home. So when they announced it being in Connecticut, I remember that you're being like, wow, that's I guess just because they're in Connecticut. That's where the office is. Uh, maybe they felt Connecticut had deserved a uh, WrestleMania at that point. But it wasn't so crazy to think it. It's just in retrospect, when you look back at it and you're like, uh, Madison Square Garden the year before, the year after they're in the brand new Arrowhead Pond in Anaheim, California. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'd go to the Rosemont Horizon the following year, which is a classic building for them. And then they'd mm-hmm. start getting into bigger and bigger and bigger venues. And you look right back at, like you said, Wikipedia and you go, one of these things just doesn't look the same. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking yeah. at your WrestleMania 11. You'd think as well, if you think looking at attendances as well, you would you'd think you'd expect to see 
kind of an increase like you expect to see like from wrestlemania one and then to two and then to three the attendance goat gets it you'd expect it to get a little bit bigger a little bit bigger a little bit bigger a little bit bigger but it doesn't you know it goes like wrestlemania one and two and then three is obviously huge yeah. and then it goes down again you know so it's like i don't know how many people are at wrestlemania three eighty five eighty five thousand or something like that well you want to fake number or the real number yeah. uh, let's do real number <laughs> the real number is probably more like 79 to eighty yeah which is still huge and then you go but then but then after that they're doing you think okay so they're set from here on out they never have to perform this event in an indoor arena ever again that's what you'd think after watching hogan body slam andre right you'd think right. this 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 brand this this wrestlemania brand is always going to have to be in an outdoor minimum 50,000 stadium. Yeah. But then it doesn't. It goes to like, you go back down to like 15,000 or yeah, something. Well, yeah, there's two Trump WrestleManias, the Trump Plaza in uh, mm. four and five. You know, the venue, the, the cool thing about four and five is that they have the same look, right? So you're like, all right, they could literally be interchangeable. Uh, very odd building when you see it up close. You know, I've been in it, so I, I tell you that for a fact. It's a very odd. Well, now it's gone, but I could tell you that for a fact. It's a very odd building. But then they go six Sky Dome. Seven was supposed to be at the outdoor stadium in um, in Los Angeles, uh, which you know, quote unquote, because of threats, they had to move indoors, aka ticket sale, yeah. toilet. Yeah. Um, WrestleMania eight's in the Hoosier Dome in Indianapolis, giant crowd. But then after eight. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, mm-hmm. modest, regular arena. Then it would be 14, 15. It would pick up, 16, come back down. And then from about 17 on, outside of mm-hmm. WrestleMania 20, never look back. Everything's been in a stadium. Yeah, because 20 is in uh, Madison Square Garden, right? Which it needed to be there. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's just crazy to think. Like I can't imagine them ever doing a WrestleMania in a in, in a the kind of arena where they would do a Raw. Do you know what I mean? Like right. anymore, it, yeah, it has to be in a stadium. You can't. And when you have been in an arena that has had a WrestleMania and a Raw, you sit there and you go, "Wow, it's uh, it's unbelievable." Because you know when I I've been in Madison Square Garden for a Monday Night Raw, and back in the day, the day I was actually at the first Raw done at Madison Square Garden in '97 the side of the building that the Titan Tron takes up eliminates a whole block of seats. Mm. So when you watch WrestleMania 10 or WrestleMania 20 or any other pay-per-view that's been there, you see the small entrance that's in the middle of the arena. You go, well, that makes a lot more sense than this giant thing over here. Yeah. And that's why the, um, hard cam, the entrance is facing hard cam. Correct. Correct. Yeah. But very interesting stuff. Again, that's old man, uh, you know. Oh, yeah, we're getting into the weeds here. <laughs> Parking at, you know, the uh, the young kids on the skateboards outside yeah. the uh, – back in my day. Uh, but yeah. let's talk about WrestleMania 12. So he's the world champion. He goes all the way around the calendar, gets to losing the belt to Bret Hart at Survivor Series 95. Uh, really, I guess if you looked at it, uh, the, the Shawn Michaels match at WrestleMania is probably the marquee up until he loses to Bret. <laughs> at the Which, and Brett loves that match, right? The- oh, it's a great, yeah, and it's yeah. A great, great. I love the finish, the Deke finish by Brett playing dead, roll him up, mm-hmm. and Diesel loses it, jackknifes the world, curses on air. Then he would kind of antagonize the Undertaker. He'd be the first guy to flip the bird on. Uh, yeah, he's the first man to give the middle finger on WWF TV. I mean, he's cursing. You know, he's he's pre Attitude Era character in 1995 or excuse me 1996 Mm -hmm. and then uh yeah he has this great build for this feud with the undertaker which you know looking back was very well done and if you recall to me the marquee moment of the feud is when they peel back the coffin and they show the diesel inside the coffin in 96 Mm -hmm. that shit blew your mind (laughs) yeah that was that was a big deal um and i also think like we didn't know the like the streak as we know it wasn't really necessarily a thing then. Like he he hadn't lost at WrestleMania, but I don't think we'd come to identify that as like the streak, you know? Mm. Um, and I definitely think that Nash was a believable, was someone who could believably beat Taker at WrestleMania, yeah. you know? And it seemed like, and also all the Taker's WrestleMania matches before that had sucked, right? Yeah. <laughs> Basically, oh, yeah. They were just, they were not good. It was, you know, well, outside of the first one, I guess, with Jimmy Snuka, and maybe the second one with Jake the Snake. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Giant Gonzalez one, not good. The King Kong Bundy one, you know, not good. 
Uh, but with Diesel, it's a crapshoot because this guy's coming off being the world champion, and now he's a tweener bad guy. Uh-huh. I mean, I you could have flipped the coin for me back in 96. I was probably rooting for Diesel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I thought Diesel could win for sure. We um, didn't know but, he was out the door, basically. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, has he had, had he already handed in his notice at this point? I I think from what he talks about in his uh, chronicles, he gives in the notice after the February in your house. So technically, yes, the clock would be started. And that's where he has the infamous conversation with Vince. Vince says, I want you to put over uh, Undertaker at WrestleMania. He says it would be an honor. And then basically build your way to Shawn Michaels is going to beat you on the way out. And that's that's pretty much it. I think he really would have worked with anybody except Bret Hart. Uh, at that point, because he had gone on the tirade of I'm leaving because this guy wants to control everything. Yeah, he did. I mean, he got pretty lucky to hand in his notice and then get Taker at Mania and then go out with Sean. Like, I'm not sure that everyone would get treated the same these no, days. No, I think that makes sense because you're, what you're going to do is, as an old school promoter, you're going to beat him on the way out. You're going to oh, yeah. devalue him in the eyes of the next viewer. So the next time he pops up on television, which we ultimately know what would be, uh, you know, joining uh, Scott Hall and WCW, you're seeing him pop up and you go, oh, cool, Diesel. But, you know, he just lost to he just lost to Shawn Michaels. Shawn and Taker, yeah. I just so, feel like if he, if that happened now, he'd have them lose to like, uh, like Baron Corbin or someone. You know, someone like it, losing to Taker and Sean, I think, isn't isn't quite as. I think it definitely devalues that devalued him on his way out, but I don't think it's quite as damaging as as something that would yeah. happen now. Maybe you know, right. I feel like when 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 Moxley was on his way out of WWE, he was losing to all kinds of no names. You know. Yeah. <laughs> But that's an interesting one because he really be the only name that you can re- really remember in the last 15 years that had a very public leaving. Like everybody. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, and it was like kind of the first time we got to see Vince get creative in the fact like, all right, well, this is how we used to let guys leave. Uh, yeah. Versus now. I mean, that all that crap with the, you know, the, the, the gas mask and all that shit. Like we've uh-huh. come now from the Moxley perspective, but it was bad for him on a way out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was interesting to, to witness because it was like, you know, it was very much reminiscent of something from the 90s when when we didn't know, but we did know, you know. But see, my, my thing is you could take a 95 Raw, which was only an hour, and mm-hmm. you could probably put it up against a three-hour Raw, and I dare say you may garner a little more interest in a 95 Raw, not because it's just, you know that was a better era, not because okay, it had these Hall of Fame stars, just because it was simpler consumption of your programming. An hour is a lot better to get over your, your angles than three hours, where basically after two weeks you've seen everything already. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I mean, th- I mean three-hour Raws are just arduous. Nobody needs that. Like, yeah, definitely the one hour ones. It's tight. Uh, you got tighter storytelling. You're, I mean, you can be, you have to get creative as well when you're constrained by time limits, you know? Whereas yeah. I think nowadays they're just kind of, it's just so meandering and, and not as fun. Um, yeah. But it's more guys like Diesel. But as somebody who covers it though, and the way you have to cover it and be on top of things, do, do you kind of lose, like, not the excitement, because obviously there's always going to be excitement from when you're into something, but, like, does it have that kind of lost luster to it because they wear guys out so fast now and you've yeah. seen it all after a few weeks? Somebody comes in hot and then they're literally getting beat three weeks later. Do you kind of get frustrated with oh, how? Sure. There's definitely a ele- big element of that to it, for sure. Um, and there'll be stuff happening on, you know, I'll, I'll watch a pay-per-view live because I'm covering it and something will happen where I'm like, that sucked, but yeah. I have to write that. I yeah. now have to write that, and it sucked. But I know people are going to want to going to want to read that. Right. So I have to write about it. You know, stuff like that will happen all the time. Um, yeah, it can be a bit demoralizing, but uh, for the most part, I enjoy it. Especially, you know, and there's always there's always uh, you know every cloud has a silver lining. There's always some positives on the horizon and stuff. I'm confident that WrestleMania is going to be be enjoyable um i don't know that i'm gonna be you know over over, completely overjoyed with every decision but i think it's gonna be mostly fun you know yeah well if we look at diesel and his wrestlemania days Mm -hmm. he technically one and one (laughs) he was one and one and then one valet appearance yeah (laughs) outside the ring valet slash heavy slash manager appearance 
uh, and that's it for Big Daddy Cool. He would come back uh, later on. Uh, 18, as, would that be his first uh, one back? 18, but if you recall, did not wrestle because uh, he was allegedly supposed to be uh, facing Kane, and I believe he got hurt, and there was no Big Daddy Cool at WrestleMania 18. And that's it for Kevin Nash at WrestleMania in terms of active competition. Which is kind of wild now, right? That's wild to think about looking back on it. Because with the benefit of hindsight and everything we know about WCW and WWF, because now WWF, no, WWE has just absorbed every every WCW thing. So we kind of in a, I feel like now WWE in terms of its its timeline, its history and its lineage, they kind of include a lot of WCW stuff in that. Like if you go on the network, all the WCW stuff is just on there. You know, it's presented very much like this was a this was a separate thing at the time, but it's ours now. Um so you can it's not like if if that if that purchase never happens nash just disappears in in 97 or or was it 96 yeah nash disappears in 96 completely yeah uh and we never hear of him again you know so at least i think we're on pete well it's on peacock now but you know what i mean network peacock we can go and see what nash was up to in those in that in that time um so that's something you know that's something uh, his middle finger, though, might be edited out of uh, the Peacock uh, content from everything. Oh, yeah, that's, not, that's not making it past the senses. Don't worry about that. <laughs> uh, the massacre that's gone on at the hands of the uh, the the uh, the that is honestly to me has been one of the most interesting stories. Is just the the fiery fans that have been flipping out <laughs> over all the uploaded content and waiting to see what's not added versus just going to watch something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's funny. That's real funny. Um, and you know what? Some of this stuff will probably end up on there unedited eventually. It's just, you know, they just need to sort of tread lightly right now, I think. so. And there's a lot of stuff on there where it's like, I totally... Get, and you know what? Um, I was saying to a friend earlier, actually, the the network is still available outside of the US. So if you're smart, you can figure out a way to watch. That stuff hasn't gone away forever, right? Yeah. And I was saying, like, having a UK WWE Network subscription is like having Song of the South on VHS. <laughs> oh my God. It's like the Holy Grail. Yeah, but you know, I, I, I made this point a few weeks ago with, uh, with on another show. I said it almost kind of brings the old DVD collector or the tape trader back to, like, back to fashion because – all those people that said, I don't need this stuff anymore when the network came out are now going to have to scramble for stuff that they want unedited or, you know, in their original form. And it almost kind of revived maybe the DVD market, which now you could just walk into Walmart and then uh, three weeks after the pay-per-view, buy it for 10 bucks, you know, maybe yeah. it revived the DVDs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember going into uh, like, we had a shop in the UK called HMV, which sold, you know, it was like Best Buy, basically. I used to love going in there and just seeing like, Ooh, what uh, what six month old pay per view can I buy for for a uh, hundred pounds? <laughs> can you convert that? That, that stuff was expensive, man. What's a hundred pounds in uh, in uh, dollars? It wasn't really hundred pounds. It was more like thirty pounds, which is probably like I don't know, fifty bucks or something like that back in those days. A <laughs> hey, retail value of the VHS tapes in the Coliseum video years was fifty nine ninety five. Whoa, that's wild, man. And you drop every penny you had to get it if you wanted to buy it. Unbelievable stuff. All right. Well, let's head to the wrap up here. Uh, One more question about Diesel. Uh, We kind of say on this show there's a a five-guy roll call for the top players of the new generation era. We usually say it's uh, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Undertaker, Razor Ramon, and Diesel. Would you agree on those five? Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon, Diesel. Who was the other one? Undertaker. Undertaker, yeah, that definitely checks out. I think I'm trying to think who else you could throw in there, like at certain points. Uh, but in terms of being draws, and I, yeah, that definitely makes sense to me. Who's your uh, num- who's your number one out of those five? I'll probably say, oh, it's down, but I'm gonna say HBK. I'm a big Shawn Michaels mark. I do, kn- I know that Brett is the better wrestler technically, but I think. Pound for pound, if you're like taking everything into account, charisma and all that stuff, um, I'm gonna say Shawn Michaels. 
I do I do think Bret Hart is like is like one of the best wrestlers in the world who ever lived, and I do love going back and watching his stuff. But I think just personally, I love like a cocky, cocky dickhead. So yeah, I'm gonna say HBK. Nice. But also, I love Nash. Otherwise, I wouldn't have picked him. Like when I think when you asked me about this period, Diesel was the first person that pops into my head because I almost feel sorry for him in that he. He carried the com- company for about a year and gets blamed for all of this shit. But I don't know. There's loads of other stuff going on. There's so many other factors taken into account. I think he did the best he could. He probably he just shouldn't have been a, a face, really. He just shouldn't have been a face champ. Yeah, that's the tough part. You know, it's uh, it's hindsight. But I mean, I think he kind of, I think he holds his own in history. I think maybe those Shawn Michaels uh, title reigns, the '96 title reign of Shawn Michaels, might have hurt more than the Diesel one, exactly. just because going up against that powerhouse that was uh, the NWL, which Big Daddy Cool was a huge, huge part of the oh, uh, exactly. the yeah. of the WWF. I mean, it is funny that he's he's blamed for this downturn in profits at WWE, but then he goes over to WCW and kicks WWF's ass for, you know, <laughs> however long. Uh, makes a lot of sense, right? All right, Norm, well, let's, uh, let's get ready to say goodbye here. Where can all the fine listeners of new generation declassified find all the stuff going on in the pro wrestling sheet and the norm quarantine world. Oh, find me on Twitter at Norman Q and then find all your wrestling news at pro wrestling sheet.com every single day. And we also have a YouTube channel. That's gonna, we're going to start pumping more content into that soon. So if you want to go subscribe to our YouTube channel, please do. That's just pro wrestling sheet on YouTube. And yeah, thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Very curious to find out more about that YouTube channel as you uh, as you get to roll it out. But we shall uh, we shall wait in mystery while that uh, yes <laughs> all those Please plans come together. <laughs> yes, thank you. So, all right, yeah. If you want to follow me, it's at Chad E and B on Twitter and Instagram. My website is ibexclusives.com. The TMPT Empire website is tmptempire.com. Uh, you could also head on over to the Vince Russo brand and check out the Triple Threat podcast with myself, my partner JP, and the franchise Shane Douglas, uh, and all the other collaborations we've got with the Russo brand. Uh, so for uh, myself, Norm, and Big Daddy Cool Diesel, I guess enjoy your WrestleMania viewing. Go back and watch uh, 10, 11, and 12 if you need to uh, cleanse your palate of some things you might not be happy with uh, after this WrestleMania. And uh, for the uh, the happy crew, this is the uh, the old Chadster, and I will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.